0: Listener production. Hi, I'm sports journalist, Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game, a partnership with Puma for the Fearless podcast series. On Her Game is a space where I get to share the stories of our incredible female sporting stars to try and learn more about the person behind the athlete. And for this Fearless edition, I'm excited to partner with Puma to uncover how their female sporting icons have reached the top of their fields the challenges they've faced along the way, the boundaries they've had to push through, the glass ceilings they've had to smash, as well as the hopes, dreams and fearless attitudes that have shaped the women they are today. Together, we'll make sure women are seen, heard and treated as equals, both in sport and in life. In this episode, I speak with Gemma Maimai from the Queensland Firebirds. Gemma is a proud Aboriginal woman and a star of the Suncorp Super Netball, Talented at so many sports growing up, it was netball she loved the most. And it wasn't long before she was wearing the purple dress of the Queensland Firebirds. A star on the court, she was thrust heavily into the spotlight in 2020. You see, Gemma was the only Aboriginal woman playing in the league and became the face of its Indigenous round. But when she stood on the sideline and didn't get time on court, it sparked a massive media frenzy and furor. It forced netball to have the conversation it needed to have about its poor participation record with Indigenous athletes. It also placed immense pressure on Gemma, who was at the centre of it all. Gemma is a powerful voice for her people and for her sport, and now she has a renewed sense of purpose and drive, which extends well beyond the court. Her story, though, well, it begins like so many Australian kids, playing sport in the backyard with her sisters.
1: I loved every sport under the sun, loved being active. I pretty much played any type of sport that would get me out of school. (laughs) (laughs) And um, But I was also very shy and I guess playing sport, especially team sports, was my way to get out of my shell and meet friends. And I moved around a lot as well. When I was little, because my dad was in the army, so my sisters and I were army brats, as they like (laughs) to say, and moved around, went to a lot of different schools, and I guess that challenged me to have to make new friends and get out of my shell, but sport was always that constant, I guess, and that's what I always um, went back to when I needed to make new friends I'm just wondering, because um, you've got three sisters
0: as well, um, two of which are twins, did that draw you closer, do you think, to your sisters?
1: Yeah, I think so, definitely. Like, especially with the sport, um, I would always end up playing with my sisters because they were 18 months younger than me and that was just so much fun because it's it's just that uh, feeling of comfort and f- um, familiarity with your sisters and we'd always end up playing and practicing in the backyard, all our moves um, <laughs> and get, um, and then our littlest sister as well. She's five years younger than me. We would end up teaching her as well. So it was just a great way to connect and they definitely made it easier having my sisters really close. You're still really close to this day? Yeah, definitely. I've become a lot closer with um, Lisa, my youngest sister, because she's still, <laughs> she's kind of the only one that still plays a bit of netball. So sure. um, yeah, and she's even come to a few Firebirds trainings as well. So it's great to see her loving it and having fun.
0: Great. So did you have any sporting role models? Who did you look up to? And did you think that sport was going to be what you wanted to do in your future? I
1: just loved sport. I never really saw it as a as a job. I didn't think I, you know, could play something that was so much fun and that I loved as a career. I looked up to Cathy Freeman. Um, like I did a lot of athletics during school and just people would say, oh, you, you're like Cathy Freeman, you're going to go to the Olympics. And <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, that's a lot of pressure. Thanks. <laughs> but um Yeah. So I looked up to her because she looked like me as well. That's, that made me think, oh, that's like, I just wanted to be like her. I just thought it was so cool. And she was my, she was my biggest probably sporting role model growing up. I looked up to my parents as well. Like my mom played a lot of netball growing up and she, Like mum and dad were the ones who drove me to all my trainings and everything. And obviously back then I didn't really appreciate it as much. But (laughs) looking back at it now, if it wasn't for them, I definitely wouldn't be in this position. And I did watch a bit of netball as well growing up. So I would watch um, at the time when I was playing netball, I was like a wing defence. So I looked up to Renee Ingalls. She was the Australian wing defence at the time. So I looked up to her. And also Gabby Simpson as well from the Firebirds who I now play with and is our captain, and um, which is, yeah, really cool.
0: So how did, how did netball come into your life then?
1: Mum had so many great memories and made so many friends during netball. So it was just going to happen that she was going to put my sisters and I into netball and I started when I was about eight years old and I just fell in love with the sport. It was just so much fun like the tactical and technical side of it, but you can also just run around and be free. <laughs> and I just kept playing, um, you know, I just I went through the traditional netball pathways, um, made representative teams, made Queensland teams. And I remember the first time that I got asked to come into a Firebirds training as like a training partner. And I think the Firebirds were, they, it was like, a couple of trainings before their grand final and they wanted me to play wing attack and I I hadn't played, (laughs) didn't really know much wing attack. I was still a very much predominant wing defence player but they were like, we just need someone fast for Gabby to practice I was about to say, does that mean you were (laughs) against Gabby? Yeah, (laughs) I was against Gabby and I just thought what the hell? She's she's just going to, you know, eat me alive. Like she's an an incredible athlete. But anyways, I just, I was really close to not going because I was that nervous as well. And mum was always the one who pushed me to get out of that, I guess, negative headspace to be like, you know what? It's going to be hard, but it's better than, you know, you not going because you're going to learn so much, even though if you feel like, you know, Gabby's just going to get every ball <laughs> from you, um, you're you're going to learn a lot from it. So that was really encouraging. And I went to that training and... How old were you at that stage? I'm going to say I was maybe, maybe 18 or 19. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... Yeah, just seeing them train and how hard hard they trained, I was like, oh, my gosh, they are all so fit. I'm never going to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I remember I ended up, like, contacting Kim Ravalian. Like shoved her in the back quite hard, and I just thought, "Oh my gosh, I've just broken Kim River Reva- Rebellion before the grand final. This is oh, Jesus. this is not. But I'm never going to be asked back again." And but she was fine. She's a tough cookie. <laughs> <Isn't she? laughs> yeah.
0: Were you still pursuing touch football because you're really talented at, at touch football? What levels did you achieve in touch football? And were you still pursuing that pathway?
1: Yeah, yeah. So touch footy was I get yeah another sport that I really loved and I would play in state of origin teams for Queensland in under-20s and the Open age group. I represented Australia for my age under-18s at a a trans-Tasman competition playing against New Zealand and I did get the opportunity to be in the Open women's Australian squad but unfortunately that the timing wasn't the greatest because I was trialling for the under-21s Queensland side and the Australian youth squad as well, netball squad. So it, I think for me to really, you know, give it everything I got into netball, I needed to, unfortunately, stop playing touch. But I knew netball had there were pathways for me to, you know, make queen uh, play the firebirds and the diamonds where touch. Unfortunately, there wasn't really any pathways back then. Now there is with the rugby. But yeah, when I was playing touch footy, it wasn't really a, it wasn't really around back then. Um, So yeah, I didn't really see touch giving me many opportunities, whereas netball, I had a lot more options to go with.
0: You joined the Firebirds in 2017 and that was off the back of their incredible back-to-back championships in 2015 and 2016. Was it intimidating stepping into that side? as a youngster with that history of 2015 and 2016 and that level of expectation from the purple dress
1: ah oh, 100% especially <laughs> because i never thought i would make it professionally in netball it was there was a lot of expectation to do well and um perform as well from their previous seasons but
0: why didn't you think that you would make it if you'd made the under 21 <laughs> australian side if they'd <laughs> asked you to come and we need someone fast to train yeah. against Gabby Simpson. Why didn't Gemma think that she could make it?
1: I think it was a a mix of things. Potentially, like a struggle of um, my own confidence. Confidence has been a kind of like an ongoing thing. Um, still is. Um, I go see a psych, um, our team psychologist, quite often, um, just to talk about just my confidence, kind of that negative thinking, trying to get it out of your head. Just practicing all those um, strategies so you can just perform well
0: where does that come from
1: i don't i'm not too sure I think it was when I was young being so i've got i'm one of four girls or all, all sisters or girls there potentially there wasn't a lot of time to celebrate the our successes, it was, oh, if we give too much attention to Gemma, the other sisters are going <laughs> to get upset. Um, but I, I think it was, that was spread around. Like it wasn't just me, it was all the sisters as well, I think. But it's kept me quite humble as well. It's kept me, um, yeah, really grounded. And I feel like it's a bit of a roller coaster. You got your, you, you, you're having those good days, but then you can get a little bit lower but then you make sure you reach out, make sure you're talking to people. because um,
0: sometimes, and I think little girls look up to you and look up to the netballers and female athletes, and we we feel that they're superhuman sometimes that they must have oh, so much confidence to do what they do. But it's a nice message to that shy little girl out there that you have that it's okay to be that way. It's you know, if you do have negative thoughts, you can you can overcome them or you can, you can, you can deal with them is what would your message be to that shy little girl out there?
1: Yeah. Being that shy girl and being really in your head, it's, it is okay. You naturally, your body will want to kind of go down that negative, um, spiral and it is, that is quite normal. And knowing that it is normal, I think is important, not just thinking, oh, I'm such a negative person, that's just how the brain will naturally work. It's then the hard thing is then overcoming and doing that quick switch, I think. And also just, yeah, looking to your teammates as well. It is a, I'm really lucky it's a team sport. You get to, you know, bounce off all these other girls and they will give you that encouragement. And that, that really does help. Like with the group that we've got at the moment, I've been playing with them for five years now and I've got great relationships with all the girls and, they can, like a few of them can just look at me and they can tell like, okay, Gemma's a bit down. We need to give her, you know, a little bit of, you know, encouragement and vice versa. Like if I see like, um, if someone threw the ball away, it wasn't a great pass. It's just that quick encouragement, all those couple of words just to kind of switch back on and keep going. And that's something that's really special about the Firebirds culture. We are a big family, so we ride the highs and the lows all together.
0: I want to park the netball side of the chat mm-hmm. and I want to talk about your Indigenous heritage. Yep. Um, can you tell me a little bit, like you said, you about you know your journey with your heritage and being Aboriginal? You said before that you knew you were different. Can you tell me, and it wasn't until you were 10, tell me about yeah. your journey.
1: Yeah, so growing up you you learn and discover more about yourself and learn about like your, your self-identity and I, that was when I moved to a new school in grade, uh, when I was 10 in grade five and I remember my, my dad would, he was in the army still, he would do like the school drop off and pick up in his uniform and I would tell my dad stay in the car, don't come out because when you come out. Everyone stares at you and <laughs> you have you get so much attention. And my dad dad probably loved it. He didn't yes. care. <laughs> he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, okay, don't worry. And he would like help get our backpacks from the boot. And I could just feel like all the other kids just looking at him like, who mm. is that? Because he, you know, he stood out, stood out like a sore thumb. Um, this big Aboriginal guy in a army uniform and yeah, and I just did not like the attention. I didn't like it. Maybe it's because I saw all these people looking at my dad because he was different. I was like, maybe do I get those stares as well because I'm that little bit different as well. But I tried not to think about it too much. I would kind of park those thoughts and just see my friends and not even worry about it because I was my friends and every my grade in the school didn't really see me as different, which was which was good. It was probably just internally me thinking like that. So you always
0: knew you were Aboriginal.
1: So I didn't discover I was Aboriginal till um, probably around that grade five mark too. Like I, I was it was a funny story. I asked my parents if I was Jamaican because <laughs> I, like the Cool Runnings, you know, that movie yes, yeah. that came out and I must have watched it for the first time and I was like, oh, they've got dark skin, they're really fast. Oh, I might be that's Jamaican. Me. That's me. And, yeah, so I went to them and I said, oh, am I um, Jamaican? And mum and dad were like, no, you're not. You're Aboriginal and I, that's when I really uh, – first heard the word Aboriginal and then I yeah, didn't really understand it back then. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's just what I am. And during high school, that's when I really discovered, oh, like Aboriginal. Aboriginality, it's a beautiful culture. It's like the longest living culture in the world and I'm a part of it. And I just think, I just thought, wow, that's incredible. And After school, that was when I would kind of ask Dad a bit more about stories and our family history, just because I wanted to know more, Um, especially right now I work with the Diamond Spirit Program at Netball Queensland and it's a program targeted at young Indigenous women at schools and I want to make sure that I'm being as authentic as possible. I want to learn more about myself and so I can share my stories with them and vice versa, they can share their stories with me and I'm still learning. Like I don't know everything yet and everyone's on their own kind of um, cultural journey as well. And I just encourage people to learn more, reach out, just talk to elders wherever you can because they've got some incredible stories and yeah, I just try to talk to my nana, my dad's mum, as much as possible just so I can learn more. Is it a bit late to be learning that you're Aboriginal at, at 10?
0: Why, why did it take until you were 10 years old?
1: Yeah, I guess it, it wasn't nothing. It didn't really, we didn't bring it up really. As a family, we never got the opportunity, I guess. Dad was away a lot in the army. He, would, he was overseas serving country and yeah, mum was kind of the only one that was home around at the time and raised us. She's an incredible mum. Like me and my sisters were 18 months apart. So, yeah, she had three of us under two at one stage and dad was away. And and I guess mum didn't want to take that away. Like dad would have been able to explain it better than my mum. So mum left that to dad. But it just, him being away for work quite a bit, we just never got the opportunity to sit down and really delve into it. And in a way, I'm, I'm kind of grateful for that because now that I'm older and I am learning more, I can really appreciate it and understand, I think, and critically analyse a lot of like the intergenerational trauma that still um, exists and really digest it in a way that I can still help educate people that this is still a thing and people are still hurting. Like, it didn't happen, you know, thousands of years ago. It wasn't long at all, so... Do you think that's why Dad took so long telling you? I think so, yeah. I don't think he wanted to pass a burden onto us and I didn't think my mum wanted to do that either. Like, it is a hard topic to talk about and, like, my mum, she's white Australian, so... I'm sure, like, she didn't want to, you know, have this guilt either. Um, I'm glad that Dad has been able to open up now and share the stories of our family. And um, now I get to share that too with, with my friends and my teammates as well. Did you experience
0: racism as well, casual racism?
1: Yeah, there is just... It is quite prevalent, the casual racism in the Australian community and it's just like little comments people make um, and I think I need to do better at just pulling them up on it, just be like, oh, that's actually quite offensive when you say that. I, I'm i quite guilty of just letting it, just, just brushing it aside. I've also, I guess, with Indigenous Round last year, some on social media, some comments there of people not realising how racist their comments are. Um, so I I was pretty much on like a social media ban <laughs> after Indigenous Rehabilitation. I just didn't want to look at it or deal with it. And, and I guess after that and seeing those comments, it actually made me realise, oh, it, it really is still prevalent in the, community and that people will say these things without, without – re- I don't think they realise it's racist. It's just the education around it that we need more of.
0: Well, let's talk about last year's Indigenous Round because it's a really important, important topic to bring up um, yep. with the Suncorp Super Netball. You were the marquee player to market the round, the face of the round. You are the only Aboriginal player in the Suncorp Super Netball. But then when it came to the game with the Firebirds, you didn't get time on the court. You stood on the sideline. as the minutes ticked by. Everyone, the commentary, everyone at home was thinking, is, is Gemma going to get on the court? It's Indigenous round. This is not going to get on the court. And then the full-time siren went. For you, especially in those, that last quarter and those last minutes ticking by, take me back there. What was going through you? your mind? I know it's a really emotional time, but take me, what were you thinking
1: at that point? Um, ah, oh, I, I felt a lot of pressure. I knew what the community expectations were. They wanted to see me out on court. I knew that we started before getting into the stadium, we had an incredible smoking ceremony and it, it kind of took my nervousness away. It was, it was, really, really powerful before moving into the stadium. And we had the Vixen girls involved in the smoking ceremony as well and that it was such an incredible feeling. I think I had goosebumps during it. I was really pumped at the start of the game. Like I was, I was like I had a good training week. I was really confident in my ability. I was like well, I'm ready to go on. I knew I wasn't starting but I knew... I can make an impact here um, if I if I get out on court. So watching the game, we would the girls on court were doing extremely well. It was about half time and Vixen's just kind of crept back a little bit. We were still leading. Um I was still pumped. I was like, oh, okay, I've I'm I'm ready to go on if I need to go on. Um and then they were it was about the last quarter. And I I was just kind of watching like the the clock tick by every minute. I was like, oh, I could go in here. Like, oh, I could go in here. What's the margin like? Um, I was just, it was probably the most engaged game I've, like, <laughs> from, the, from sitting on the bench. I was so engaged the whole time. I was like watching every pass. It did feel like I was out on court because I was so, I guess, revved up, ready to go. It was like five minutes to go. In the whole game and we were up very comfortably and I I think that's when the moment hit me where I was like, oh, I'm not going to get on. <laughs> like, that was my thought. I was like, oh my gosh, I've let all these people down. I'm. They've come to see me and I can't do what they want me to do. And I remember um, when Lars got that cramp and... It was like a minute or something left and I got told, quick, you're going back. You're going to go on. By that minute, I just felt, I didn't. <laughs> by then I didn't feel like I wanted to go on. Then I just felt like, oh, a minute, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have any impact here. Like we've won the game already, but I knew people wanted to see me out on court. But then I knew Lars was going to be okay because she had a couple of cramps in some earlier rounds and I knew she would be fine like she just needed a little stretch and she would be okay but I felt really I remember standing on that in the box um ready to go on and she looked at me and she's like do you want me to come off and I said if you want (laughs) because she was playing really well and I didn't want to take that away from her like all our team was playing well and I just, I was, I couldn't even feel my body. I think I was numb, <laughs> like standing in the box. Cause I, and even if I did go to, did go on court for that last minute, I don't think I would have performed very well. I think I would have just been, oh my God, I'm on court. Like I've got a minute to go. Just don't stuff up. Don't do anything silly. And, And then she didn't. Like I I knew she would be fine and she got up and then I just felt silly just standing there. (laughs) I turned to Rose, our coach at the time. I was like, do you want me to go on? And she said, no, we won't put you on for the last minute. And I was like, okay, yeah, I understand. But I just felt silly because people saw me standing up and I even heard the crowd. The crowd just lifted and I just felt... Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, guy. Like I just like I, it was just like a disappointment. Um, I felt like I disappointed so many people, and I just did not know, I didn't really know what to do after the game. I was so, like, I was so proud of the girls that were on court and they got us the win. But I was so upset too. <laughs> it's such a weird thing. Like we just beat it, we just beat Melbourne Vixen's top of the ladder. And I should be happy. I should be so happy and proud of our team. But I was, uh, the, uh, like, I was sad and upset. I didn't know what to do in that moment. I, I remember Katie Thwaites from Vixen. She was, we went to go shake hands and she just gave me a hug. And I think she, she knew what I was feeling like, oh, not she didn't know exactly how I was feeling, but she could tell I was a, a bit upset, and that was to have someone from the opposite team just do that. I was, yeah, I was very, <laughs> I was really grateful for her that she did give me a hug because, unfortunately, no one really got what I was going through then. Um. I was meant to be happy, but I just was so upset. I then walked over to the Diamond Spirit students. They're up in Cairns, so they got to come to the game. And I just, I was like, I'm just going to put all my attention on these girls because they were, they were here. They wanted, they, we won and I'm just going to talk to these girls and connect with them. And I just kind of had to put on a brave face because I didn't want to, I didn't want to look weak. I didn't want to look like... Um, that I wasn't happy that we won because I was, but yeah, I was just felt like I let a lot of people down, so yeah, and it wasn't your fault, yeah, it wasn't your fault at all, yeah. It's I, it's terrible I that know. you take
0: on that blame, but you took yeah. on that blame,
1: yeah, and unfortunately, yeah, it's it was a difficult season. I knew my performance had dropped um, in the lead-up to Indigenous Round. Like, I started off the season really well, but we weren't winning any games and then I wasn't performing well out on court and then we started to win some games when I was off and it was um, kind of like a – it was just a whirlwind of emotions the whole season and I – I even had a meeting with our co with the coaches, and I just said, "I'm I'm feeling really low before Indigenous Round. Like I was just feeling low because I knew, like I'd have good training weeks, but I was so in my head when the game would come around. I was just really struggling mentally, and um, so I spoke to them and just. Because I needed to open up. I just need to talk to someone. And I was like, if I could talk to my coaches, they're gonna, they're gonna understand and hopefully just give me some extra confidence and belief in myself. And um before Indigenous Round, because people I knew people were gonna see me out on court, wanted to see me out on court, and I want really wanted to be out there. I wanna play you wanna play every game, but Indigenous Round is the most important and special round to me social media just blew up and there was a lot of hate towards our team and that p- they didn't deserve it either that wasn't their fault and that it that hurt me too because it's it's it wasn't just that round it's just a bigger it's a bigger picture um and did your
0: teammates, what were their reactions? You talked about Caitlin Thwaites from the Vixens um, identifying that this was a really difficult moment for you and Caitlin's a really special human. It doesn't surprise me that she identified that this was, was difficult in you but for you, did your teammates after the game, they obviously happy but did they understand? Could they tell? I mean, sitting at home we heard the commentary. We were all there thinking, is Gemma going to get on court? But you you don't hear that commentary when you're out on court. Did you, did they understand?
1: Um, I think some of the girls understood to an extent, yeah. I didn't want to take away the feeling of us winning. Like, ew, everyone was really happy that we won. So, and I didn't want to draw the attention back to me. Um, but some of the girls did speak to me just a few days after and they were like they said we knew we thought you would have been hurting but we didn't say anything and unfortunately being silent can be just as um uh what's the word like just as um yeah hurtful and painful and it was just me feeling really um isolated because we were up in Cairns as well. So it was um, like an away game. I didn't. All I wanted to do was just be with my family and my Firebirds family just didn't understand, unfortunately, and that's not their fault. And it's something we've spoken about quite regularly after Indig- Indigenous round and it's um, like just giving more education, more opportunity to learn is really important. And I've, I opened up to the girls and the coaching staff. I just kind of, I really, I wrote out like a monologue nearly of just like, if I put everything down on paper and, um, to say it to them, I'm, I'm not going to miss anything. Then, um, they'll just know how I felt. And they all took it like really, really well. Like I, I was very emotional, saying everything I needed to say, um, but they they were also responsive, and it was difficult. There were a lot of tears, and it. But it that's what that what family is like. You 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 ride the highs and the lows, and it was such a difficult time for everyone, and it was a big learning curve for everyone, and especially like Firebirds in Netball, Queensland. We did learn a lot from that and we've done some incredible things um, this year to improve our, you know, Indigenous pathways for young mm-hmm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander girls to keep playing netball and potentially, you know, wear the purple dress one day and we've got a Indigenous advisory board we're about to um, employ someone to help us begin our wrap, our reconciliation action plan. Like we're we're doing these incredible things in um, Aboriginal, and Torres Strait Islander culture, that space, and I'm re- and I'm just so happy to see so many people really push for this and get involved. And it's not just uh, me or the other Aboriginal people who work in Nipple Queensland. It's everyone. It's a group effort to ride this journey and learn and get more young Indigenous girls playing netball and in the purple dress because there's some incredible talent like in those remote communities like I just went like I went to Weeper with Gabs a couple of years ago and I would just see all this raw talent and I just think oh my gosh if you were in Brisbane you would be snatched up like that um But just because they are from remote communities, unfortunately, it's so hard to, um, like the only way to pursue netball would be to move to Brisbane. And I'm lucky I was in Brisbane so I could have access to all the coaches and facilities. Um, But if I was living up in a remote community, I would find it so hard to leave my family and kind of be selfish in a way. Um, So we're just trying to find out and look at other things on how we can make it more accessible for those girls and boys who love netball and want to wear the purple one day.
0: This was such a big deal because netball doesn't have a great history with Aboriginal and Indigenous players. There's only been two Aboriginal women who've represented Australia in netball and the last of which was 21 years ago and you're the only Indigenous netballer in the Suncorp Super Netball, did this, as difficult as it was for you to be at the centre of it and for it to even be called, you know, the my-my debacle in some ways for netball, but did this spark an important conversation that netball really needed to have?
1: Yeah, I think so. It. I would never want anyone to go through what I did um, and I, I think the... The conversation and the learnings, there's a lot of women who didn't get the recognition or they were used as the the tokenistic Aboriginal netball player and it's not that it it shouldn't be like that. Um, we should just embrace Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander culture every day. It shouldn't just be one day where we're like, oh, we're going to shine light on you know our indigenous ath- athletes but yeah it was definitely a conversation because it, netball it predominantly is a you know a white female sport in australia and that's the way it's been and and that is it is okay but we want to make sure that we are giving all the opportunities possible for everyone in australia um although young netball is coming through, everyone should have the same opportunity to make representative teams, make Queensland teams, and I would love to see more Aboriginal girls and Torres Strait Islander girls even believe in themselves and push to make those teams and have that drive within themselves, and I hope I, hope I can be a role model to them and they can look up to me and think, oh, if Gemma can do it, then I can do it too. Why do we have so few
0: Aboriginal girls playing at the elite level?
1: I wish I knew the answer. <laughs> I don't know. And I, I think, like, a lot of people don't know either. And, like, I've spoken to Marcia Ella and Sharon Finn and the the two Aboriginal women who've played for the Australian Diamonds, and I had some good conversations with them after Indigenous round on... What do I do? Like, I'm. How can I just get over this? And back then, I guess they didn't really. They didn't have Indigenous rounds. Like, it wasn't really spoken about. And unfortunately, there, they couldn't give advice because they they just hadn't gone what I'd gone through before. And but it was it was good just to talk to someone who could relate. And I think that why. there was such an uproar on social media. It's because it's not just in the sporting field, like it's in workplaces as well where people feel like they're used and for their, um, I guess, information, but they don't get, I guess, the recognition at the end of the day. Or I guess people just could relate in a way to the feeling that I was feeling during that game in Cairns. And I was, yeah, I was really overwhelmed with a lot of the support I got not support I guess but like just an, the words of encouragement like to keep going and that there's young like a lot of mums sent me messages saying it was sad that we couldn't see you out on court but my my daughters look up to you and that reminded me of just what I was what my purpose is and what the bigger picture is and what I want to do I want to just I want to be that role model. I want to show girls, young girls, young Indigenous girls playing netball that they can pursue it as a career and that they can wear the purple dress one day. But we need to make sure that we are giving opportunities everywhere for all Australians to play netball. I just wish I knew the answer and how to get more Aboriginal girls playing, but that's why I want to use my voice and help educate and help encourage, help mentor as many young girls as I can. What do you want to
0: see moving forward from Netball's Indigenous Round from here on in?
1: I would like to see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture just embedded into Netball 365 days of the year, not just the week of Indigenous Round where, we, where, where it's just, oh, yep, yeah, we've, this is our one Aboriginal player that we have. <laughs> um, I want it to, if it's every day, it's not going to seem tokenistic either. At the moment, like last year, I still still felt very tokenistic. But if we, uh, you know, we're doing the work, we are, we're educating ourselves, we are learning about, you know, our First Nations history. We are going to, <clears throat> we're going to allow you know, Aboriginal people to feel safe within netball and feel safe in these communities. And um, it's not going to feel tokenistic at all. So I really hope that we can get to that point. Um, It's going to, I feel like it will take a while. There's a lot of relationships that we need to heal within the netball community. and um, But we will get there. And the way that Netball Queensland and the Firebirds are going with all the action like our Indigenous Advisory Board, we're looking at our pathways. We are doing a lot of work in the space, and it's a credit to all the team there. And um, so, yeah, we will get there.
0: When you say we want it embedded three hundred and sixty-five days of the year, how how do you want it? See it.
1: I would love to see. At the moment, our Firebirds dress, we um, we've got our Indigenous design on it uh, not the whole dress but part of the dress we have an indigenous piece from our indigenous dress that we would wear so we have that with us every game which i think is really special we've got i've got my ancestors looking down on me and or you know all the past players and that's really special um i think doing a welcome to country before every game is important like we do do it at the game but having it televised i think is would be really powerful. Also, I think not necessarily just shining the light on on me for Indigenous round, getting other players and coaches to talk about their journey, their cultural journey of learning about our culture. And I've spoken about, uh, I've spoken to a few people, we should get like our captains to go out and to um, some Indigenous communities and they can do some learnings and we can showcase that. And I think that's important. Like it doesn't just have to be me talking about um, Indigenous Round. It can be anyone talking about it. If they've got the education and they're confident talking about it, then go for it.
0: Mm. Might encourage other people to educate themselves as well about about it. Um, A big thing about this series is being fearless and being fearless about the future, being fearless about the change you want to see. If I could ask you, if all shackles were off, if you had the freedom to be fearless about the future that you want to see in your sport, for women in sport, for your culture, when I say that to you, I'm giving you the freedom to tell me to be fearless about your future. What future do you want to see?
1: I I would love to see more indigenous indigenous netballers. That's for sure. That's my biggest one. I want to see more young girls who looked up to me or looked up to anyone indigenous girls and play in the purple dress and feel really safe in the netball environment and know and feel culturally safe. That's the biggest one I think. Know that they are they've come f- from wherever they've come from, they've worked their bums off to get to where they are and, and that they can continue to encourage and support the next generation as well. I think, um, another big thing for me, being fearless about the future is being a female athlete. You always, I one day want to have kids and if having kids will that, Will I be able to come back to sport? Will I be able to have my spot? <laughs> um, or will that be, you know, ending my netball career? I don't know. And I think the unknown, that's a bit scary for me. But seeing the likes of, like, Gretel and Kimra Valian come back post their babies and seeing how they've just slotted back into the team and their fitness is just, like higher than what it's ever been before, it's it's quite um, like reassuring and really confident, but everyone's different. Everyone's body is really different and it's being fearless of like no matter what happens, I'm going to be really, I guess, happy and comfortable with the decision, with that decision. But knowing that if I do decide to come back and um, if my body will let me, eventually, when I um, want to have a family, that you know, I'll I'll work hard to yeah get that spot.
0: You talk about inspiring the next generation. There are three people you inspire every day, and you've done your whole life, and they are your three sisters. Um, we have this message from one of them, Lisa. Oh my God! want to fight you. <laughs>
1: Hey, Jemmy, I could say so many good things right now, but I'll just keep it short. Um, When I was younger, I would always get the question of who would be your biggest role model. And yes, I would say you. Um, And thinking about it now that I am about 10 years older, um, wiser and more mature, um, I still wouldn't change that answer. So yeah. You are my biggest role model, and you are an inspiration to me. I strive to be like you as a netballer but also as a person and yeah, thanks for being my sister. you are amazing <laughs> oh that that was so nice <laughs> makes you emotional yeah, definitely um yeah i yeah, I forget um <laughs> that. I am the, el- the eldest um, of my sisters, so I forget that. Yeah, I. I guess I'm, you know, being a role model to them as well. So, yeah, definitely <laughs> made me very emotional.
0: <laughs> she means a lot to you, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, Lisa's um, yeah, she's a good, she's a good one. Um, it's great to see her um, really pursuing her Netball and all her stuff outside of Netball as well. She wants to um become a teacher. So she's at uni and she's just watching her like find her feet, learn learning how to balance everything is um is quite inspirational because yeah, I guess I've done that too. Um with uni and work and whatever and seeing her do that as well is quite yeah, it's really heartwarming to see that she's that she does look up to me and yeah, and still loving a nettie too. It's really nice.
0: We really need to break through walls with equality. Where is the number one thing you want to implement if you had that that magic wand that you would want to implement for women, for your culture? If you had all the powers today,
1: what would you want to implement? I'd love to see it become more professional and with the amount of training that we do, it's like I work another job. So I'm, I'm constantly doing things. I'm very busy. And, um, for uh, maybe like half the league, like can live off our, with the, with their salary. However, I think we just need to increase the, the rookie salary because it's, unfortunately it's, it is better than what we've had previously, like listening to some of the um, girls when in the firebirds and that, knowing how much they were on years ago, I just think, Oh my gosh, how you must've been so busy just trying to, you know, live really. And I would love to see netball become that more professional just so then they can live comfortably from, from their wage and, I think we need to see more, just more netball as well. Like every time you get like the newspaper too, you have got to like flick a couple of pages until you see like any female um, stories, whether netball, AFL, any any type of sport. So I think we need to really celebrate the female athletes that we have um, because they are incredible like mums coming back, like they're having a baby and playing and just managing a family, I think that's, that's commendable in itself and I think we just need to, yeah, shine, shine the spotlight on them, shine the spotlight on the women. I know you say like it's better than what it was but in order to get change we need to
0: move forward. From what you're saying, can brands, can media, do you want to see brands and media embrace women's sports more? than what they are at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the more brands and media invest into the netball and the athletes, I think that it's going to grow the their profiles, it's going to allow more media opportunities as well and that's how and that's how we can get our voices heard as well and our faces out there for Girls to look up to us as well and be those role models because, yeah, looking back when I was young, I only really saw Kathy Freeman out there who looked like me. So, if we can get more of us out there so we can keep encouraging and inspiring those, the younger generation, to play the sport that we love, I think that that's my biggest thing. It's just the encouraging them and being that role model. And, you know, getting our face out in the media is going to help that.
0: Do you think it's sufficient at the moment where media coverage is for, for netball, for women's sports?
1: Uh, to a point, I think. Um, but we're, the sport's going to keep growing, so everything else is going to have to grow with it, I think, to maintain that that coverage and getting female sport out there. It's So, yeah, I think... It's going to have to grow with it.
0: A final question we ask before every guest. If you could go back and tell 10-year-old Gemma a message, what would you go tell that 10-year-old, that shy little Gemma my
1: <laughs> Shy little Gemma my yeah. I would tell Gemma to, it's easy to say just be more confident in yourself, but I think maybe my biggest thing would be to not, Don't think about fitting in too much. Embrace your differences. Embrace being that girl who was, you know, faster than all the boys at primary school. (laughs) Really just embrace it and you are different and that's okay. Don't feel like you need to fit the mould that you see out there. Um, You're unique and you're different and that's really special. So you will learn that when you get a bit older but knowing that at 10 years old would be pretty cool
0: your difference is your greatest power definitely Gemma I've loved having this chat and I think we've had a really important discussion as well that we really need to have more often thank you for coming and sharing a story with
1: on her game yeah thanks so much for having me too
0: On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Nikki Sitch, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. This episode was created in partnership with Puma for the Fearless podcast series. To stay up to date with their incredible female sporting icons, follow at PumaAU on Instagram. And remember, stay fearless. Listener.